Lift them and shake them. Cool. Give a good shake. Ah, boy. You going to talk to the elephant? Christine and Dominic Mina playing with their eight-month-old son Declan. A scene I think fairly typical of most family households in the country, with one major difference. Christine suffers from RP or retinitis pigmentosa, an hereditary eye disease which causes the retina to degenerate over a period of time. Dominic has a condition known as coloboma of the iris, where during pregnancy part of the iris fails to develop and as a result he has less than 50% vision. Although it's early days yet, Declan appears to be severely visually impaired. Dominic has opted to stay at home looking after Declan while Christine pursues her full-time occupation as a telephonist. He's the only member of his family to be affected by coloboma of the iris, whereas in Christine's case, there's quite a history of RP in the family. My father has RP and um, it is a hereditary eye disease. So um, my brothers and sister also have it and myself. So when you started out, you had sight? I had partial sight up till um, my early teens. Then it started to deteriorate. And it went completely then, say, my mid-twenties. You know, light perception, everything was gone by then. And at what stage can you remember being able to say, it is now gone, or what am I thinking I'm seeing, or what am I remembering, or what? Um... Well, it was sort of a two-tier thing in the sense that my guiding vision would have gone, say, in my mid-teens, 15, 16, 17. You know, by that stage, I needed the cane to get around. But I still, say, would have been able to see light. I would have been able to see shapes. And then that went very, very slowly. But because I was using a stick to get around, I wouldn't have noticed the deterioration as much as I would have noticed the first deterioration. So it would have been roughly around my mid-twenties, that, you know, I can remember, say, going into the flat, turning on the light, and it didn't make any difference at all. And that would have been night-time. By way of a complete contrast, Dominic, um, in your family, you're the only one with any kind of a visual impairment. Yes, that's true. Uh, I was the only one that was poor eyesight, you know. So it's something strange now for me because there's nobody else in my family who is visually impaired, you know. And what stage is your your sight at now? How bad is it and, and what's the long-term prognosis for it? Well, as far as I know, since I've been young, like it hasn't changed overall. Uh, and it doesn't seem it will change, you know. So I'm hopeful it'll never deteriorate. Hopefully I'll have the, the bit of sight I have till I'm old and grey, you know. <laughs> Christine... You had sight, so you obviously have very powerful images. What do you see in your mind's eye when you close your eyes now and, cl- and shut off the outside world? Um, when I'm thinking about things, I, I generally visualise them. Um, things now that I wouldn't have seen, obviously, wouldn't be accurate in visualising them. Um, like a new area that I would move into, there would be houses, streets, trees, gardens, you know, but... If I could actually see them, I don't know how accurate they would be, but in my mind's eye, they're all there. 
You know, it's not as if I walk out a door and everything is just blank around me. It isn't. In my mind, I'm seeing cars, footpaths, you know, whether they're actually, as I see them or not now, I couldn't say. But when I dream, my dreams now would be very, very like what I could see. Um, if I dreamt of water or cliffs or forests, you know, they would actually be as I saw them, you know, or as I saw them on television or as I saw them on postcards. They would all be very, very the same. Um, in recent years, I noticed that when I dream and when I can see in my dream, the p pictures are becoming a bit, you know, vague or f slightly more faint than they would have been in reality. But I don't know whether that's just something I've noticed or whether it's because it's longer now since I have seen. There are two schools of thought. Some people would feel that it must be awful to have your sight and lose it. Other people would feel that what you never had, you'd never miss. How do you feel about it? Well, personally, I'm glad I could see. You know, if I was born with no sight at all, I feel I would have lost out in an awful lot of things. Um, colour, for example. You could never describe colour to somebody that has never seen. People tell me now something is a turquoisey, bluey colour. I can't really imagine it, whereas if someone said, that's blue, well, I have a very good idea of the colour. Um, it depends on your frame of mind. Some people that lose their sight would find it very hard to accept, but probably because there was blindness in my family already, you know, I was quite familiar with it. How do you relate to the term blind? There's a lot of controversy over whether people should be called visually impaired, blind, partially sighted. Uh, well, visually impaired is a lovely term. Partially sighted is fine if you have partial sight, but personally, I feel I'm blind. I can't see anything at all, so I don't mind using the word blind. I suppose it doesn't apply to myself now because I've partially sighted, but I'm registered as a blind person in for different things, you know? But it doesn't annoy me or... I wouldn't say that it would worry me to be called... I suppose if some ch child or someone come up and said, oh, hello, blind man, or something, you know, where I can see a bit, like, it's just... I don't know, it's a bit daunting, you know? How did a good Oma man end up marrying I'm a Cork not, woman? I'm not actually Oma. I, I live outside Oma, uh, about nine, ten miles. Uh, my townland was Drumlister. Well, then, Dominic, how does a man from Drumlister end up marrying a woman from Cork? How did you meet? We went to a holiday together uh, in Inniskill, outside Inniskill, uh, an activity weekend or week for the visually impaired and blind. That's where it all started. <laughs> so, Christian, I'm sure you're sick to death now of people punning and saying it was love at first sight or whatever. <laughs> it was love at first encounter, anyway. As well as I think, yeah. I would have to agree with that. How do you feel about the the notion of being the breadwinner, the kind of role reversal? I don't mind this at all, really. Um, I feel once one of us is working, well, at least we have, um, you know, we can have some reasonable living. Um, I have a job, and it's a fairly good job, and it's a permanent job, as permanent jobs go these days. So I feel like to give that up in the hope that Dominic would get something, you know, would have been a foolish decision to make. So I don't mind going out working at all. I miss Declan now, I must say, in the daytime. And, um, you know, when I'm coming home in the evening, like if I'm delayed in traffic, I'm kind of counting the minutes that I'm missing out, you know. And how different do you feel you are now to the husband who would come home in terms of the kinds of questions you'd be asking? I mean, is it, did you have a nice day at the office, dear, sort of conversation at tea time? Um, well, I usually... I'm the one to ask all the questions. Dominic would certainly say, how did your day go? And I just say, fine, you know, because I know he's not interested <laughs> in a busy switchboard and a gang of women, you know. 
But um, well, maybe not the switchboard. <laughs> well, I'm hoping not the gang of women. <laughs> but um, I tend to ask questions that I'm quite sure a man coming in in the evening wouldn't ask. I ask, what did Declan have? What did he eat? How many bottles he drank? What was he doing all day? That'd be probably too trivial to a man coming in in the evening. Well. Talking about work, what do you think about the amount of work which is available to people with disabilities and, you know, major corporations that have many, many employees where it still seems to be the telephonist kind of job that is there, that, that, that people aren't necessarily integrated into other mainstream areas of work? Well, that is changing very, very rapidly because there are fewer and fewer jobs coming up as telephonists. The other thing is the education system for visually impaired people has improved so much even since I went to school that people leaving school now are getting far better chances. They're being trained as computer operators and physiotherapists. Now they have to go to England for a lot of the training. But, I mean, they're coming onto the, the job market, you know, with great skills. So I think it's changing, right? I know there's an awful lot of people that are telephonists and probably won't move on, you know. But um, in my own case, where I lost my sight in my teens... I don't have an intercert or a leaving cert because I had to learn to type and to learn Braille at the stage when I should have been studying for my leaving cert. So I don't have a good academic you know, background. So I wouldn't really be able to go on for something like computer programming and that kind of a job. Good afternoon, ORTE. Good afternoon, ORTE. Yes? One moment, Just please. a moment now, please. The extension's ringing. Good afternoon, ORTE. Christine's work as a telephonist takes her out of the house by 8 o'clock in the morning and it's normally around 6 in the evening before she returns. While her day is spent surrounded by the latest state-of-the-art technology, Dominic has an equally busy day which has developed into quite a regular routine. Get Declan sorted out, have his, give him his breakfast and that, and get him dressed and get him settled and I go down and do the few dishes, the breakfast dishes and maybe straighten the bed up and I was to go to the shop then head off around it was half ten, eleven o'clock to go to the shops. You know? That's the start of the morning anyway. And the time we come back from the shops is this is lunch time, so we get the lunch ready and we uh, change them again of course. <laughs> what kind of an appetite has he? Oh well, no, fair appetite we we we'll have him on the baby dinner at the minute the uh, the jars or the tins, you know? Yeah. And uh, you might get steak and kidney or steak and uh, casserole or beef and broth or something like that, you know? And you would uh, eat the full jar or tin and take maybe an eight-ounce bottle afterwards of milk, SMA. So he's fair appetite, you know? And w would he be generous in giving you a few good nappies during the day? Well, no, he'd be generous enough. Now, I suppose there's three or four good nappies. Like, you know. <laughs> well, I'm not really, no. Once a day probably is uh, for a bad nappy, you know? Yeah. But uh, the disposed nappies were the great invention, you know? <laughs> <laughs> there's no washing, or it's just yeah. throw them away. You might feel slightly differently if you had to do the old washing uh, on them. I think now there'd be a different attitude altogether. <laughs> I suppose it was done before, it'd have to be done again. Yeah. I'm just going between these two cars here. Look around here to see the ducks. Won't we, Declan? A little pond here just at the back of us. And uh, they have a lot of ducks in it. They have two, two or three swans, maybe. But, uh, I can hardly ever see them. They're probably way out in the middle somewhere, like, you know. Actually, we'll have a look. 
Actually, there's quite no traffic. You can walk around and you might meet people of that. Out walking their dogs, you know. Do you get strange looks walking around with the baby? Well, I, I wouldn't notice, you know, but probably I do, all right. Um, those ladies not there would think, God, look, your man's out in the pram, you know, or the buggy, you know. But uh, it doesn't bother me at all. Well, uh, how much can you see now, Dominic? I mean, we're walking along, there's a nice yeah. path and trees well, and bushes and things. I can see the trees and the bushes and I can see the path in front of me and the water turf to me right here. And the, I can see the ducks on it now, but I couldn't tell you what colour they are. Right. I can see them swimming on it. So fairly good vision, you know. Like it's uh, very... It's hard to explain. Like When I'm in the shops out there, it's hard to see the writing on jars or that there. Or if I'm looking for a name of a road outside or that there, it's hard to see the name. But uh, it's fairly good for getting around. Of no bother, really. And how helpful are people if you need assistance? They're fairly helpful, you know. If it's just... Uh, getting over the embarrassment and asking. If you just say hello, uh, could you help me? You know, that's the, the big big step when you can do that. For a long time I was very shy and I hated asking anyone for advice. But it's, it's just getting over the embarrassment of, of not being able to see something, you know? What about the whole notion of you being the man, being at home? How do you feel about that? Is there a prejudice against fathers who, who have, you know, the, the wives as the main supporter? I don't think, I think it has all changed. A few years ago, yeah, probably, there was, it had been very strange to see a man in the house looking after a baby. Or, but now it's, it's just the done thing. Like, There's more opportunities for the wives to go out to work now. Like, There's a lot of unemployment, so you just have to take what you get. And I suppose like, it's hard, you know, sometimes I work for a few years, like, it's hard to get out of the routine of work. And, uh, but I don't mind it at all. I'm getting used to it now. <laughs> and what about the advantages in terms of the time you have with Declan? Well, I'm watching him growing up every day. There's something new, like, you know. Like he's from he was very little. He did very little. But now he's he can stand up when you're holding him, and, and he can talk a little bit. And uh, well, there's lots of things that he can do. And just banging on the table or any of these things at all, like you know. And what about the idea that, that the kind of role reversal when Christine comes home at the end of the day, the sort of uh, finding you in, in irate humour or glad to see her or, you know, saying, had you a good day at the office, dear, all that sort of stuff? Well, she was dying to get home to see Declan, of course. I don't think she doesn't ask anything about me. <laughs> but uh, I think she was glad to get home to see Declan. Uh, I suppose it's hard to know that... Like, it's hard for her to go out every morning and leave me and Declan behind. She'd rather be at home looking after Declan. Well, maybe in a year or two when, he, when he's a bit bigger, how would you feel about the notion of getting some sort of part-time work yourself, oh, maybe? I'd love it. Like, you know, with a sort of being strangers in the area, it was hard to find suitable crashes out there to send them to, you know, or people to look after them, you know, for a, even an, an afternoon or that. But there's not known people, like... But... Uh, Oh, I, I, w I wouldn't mind going out to work. I'd love it, actually. You know, it's great to get out and about. I love working outside. And, of course, the independence of the few bob then would be a help. Well, that always counts, you know. You can do whatever you want then. You know, if you want to go out for a drink or 
if you want to buy something for Christine, like, you know, taking it out of the, <laughs> the housekeeping or whatever, you know. <laughs> well, I must say, you have a very healthy, positive attitude to it and you, you don't seem to be harbouring any kind of well, resentment at all. No, no resentment at all. Like I was... I don't know what's... And I'm happy that I can get around. I got to look at some people and they can't get around. Or they're, you know, it's, I'm very lucky to have what sight I have. I can, I can walk around the park here and without a bother and look at the ducks. And where there's other people who can't even get out of the house because of other disabilities, you know. So I've been very lucky. Well, maybe we might go down to the shops now and you could give me an idea of the kind of problems you come across, the things that are difficult to see, or or maybe the good layout and the bad layout of shops. Yeah, well, so we'll do that now. We'll head off. see the red man on the traffic light across the way there now. I can just see it barely, you know? Yeah. You'll know when it'll change anyway. Oh yeah, I know when it'll change, yeah. I couldn't tell you now if he's got two legs or two arms or anything. Oh, I know he's red. Well, in fact, with many of the vandals that are around, he could have one leg and one arm now, the way they'd be taking stones at it, maybe. There we go now. That's it. We've changed to green and yeah. off we go. So that's one of the silent ones. That's one. These are the problems that I blame people come up against the cars. Yeah, we've come to a car park here now, the entrance into the shopping centre yeah. here in Fibsborough, and there's a, a Toyota right in the front here, yeah. and you, you can't get in. Get through with the buggy. Yeah. So I'll have to go on down to the next entrance. But you come across that problem very often now on footpaths, cars parking on the footpath, and you just can't get past. You have to go out in the road, and it's very dangerous, like even for a normal person to go out, but when a visually impaired person has to go out onto the road, like it's really, you know, th- it's very dangerous. Here we are now. now. In fairness to the car owners, there are no signs saying don't park here. Yeah, well, do you think that was a bit of common sense, like, you know, you would know that people's coming through with prams or buggies, like, or... Sure, since when did common sense prevail now, Dominic? I don't know. <laughs> but, uh... I know it's very annoying, you know, especially for the likes of Christine now who'd be using the cane. So now you're getting ambidextrous, so you have the basket and the buggy. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You get used to these things, yeah. I have to consult the list. Consult the list if I've got it with me. I have an awful head for remembering things. I'll have it with me. So the first thing is butter. So it's just down around the corner here. I know this shop fairly well. So So you know the layout. Is that important to know the layout of a shop? It's very important because you'd be all day going around looking for something. (laughs) It's very good, this shop, because it's fairly wide and you can get around with a buggy and... You know? Yeah. A lot of smaller shops you can't really get around because there's no room. And here we are. So now how do you tell which one you're taking or what price well, it is? Well, I just know it's on this bottom shelf and it's the Dairy Gold. Dairy Gold. 
And can you see a price on that then? Well, there's no price on the price There's no price on the actual packet. It's on the on the shelf now, but I'd have to go down to see it. Yeah, one nineteen. One nineteen. That's yeah. right. Yeah. That's not too bad. Well, that's not too bad actually. Yeah, I mean, in terms of being able to see it. Yeah. Well, it's just find the right one, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so we see what's next now. Okay. Uh, cheese. Yeah, it's just two rolls up. There you go. It's handy when you know where everything is. Yeah. The guilty. No, next thing. Yeah. It's the ham sticks in the same roll again. So if they changed the layout yeah. of the place here now, it would defect you? Yeah, it would defect me, yeah. These are alright, the price are on these. So that's the... Oh, that's too dear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's about right, 160. And you have to bring that up to about, what, three inches from your eyes? Yeah, then? about three inches there. So, uh, tuna steak, that's the next thing. Yeah, where's that? It's another two rows down. So in general, you can manage fairly well then? Well, I'm very lucky now. I can manage to get around, you know? I suppose uh, when, if people said, like, uh, I am registered blind, but people see me going around and say, you're not blind. Yeah. <laughs> but It's only because you know the layout yeah, as well as you do. Yeah. I'd be, a month or I'd be a good while in here if I was a stranger, you know? Yeah. So, let me see. Six cans of baby food. Okay. This is the... I know the colour, so I'm not too bad. I say it cost I don't want that. Steak hot pot, that sounds alright. I'll take two of them. These will do, baby wipes. I'm not alright for nappies. So. I get a little scrubber there, I nearly forgot. Handy for the pots. <laughs> I guess me a lot now, for today. Oh, brillos. I forgot them. I'll, I'll run back to them. So you don't need to fold the, the, the no, notes in any different way? No, no. I can see the different colours. The, yeah. the 10 is the redder colour and then the, the 5 is the brown and then the 20 is blue. So it's fairly good. And then the pound is green. So it's mm. fairly good for that. Here we go. This is you, Dominic. How are you? Hey, How are you? Not too bad. This laser beam stuff is amazing, Dominic. Oh, yeah, it's very quick. <laughs> it's great now because when I go home, I can check up. Did you do it right? No, exactly. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah, that's 15 pounds. Oh, I don't have to break the 20. Yeah. Over budget, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Fair fist of that, I was dinner fist, you know. Oh, she takes her time. I'm sorry, I'm a size 18. <laughs> <laughs> She's from a small family, she's handed the rosier food. That was my big time, I had a rosier food. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
a lot of same things like that. Don't you? Your mother doesn't kill him. They used to. They'd be saying that's why they eat so quickly. You know, that if you were slow eating, someone else would be finished and they'd be whipping you. <laughs> <laughs> Tell you one thing, Dominic. You're a fine cook. Oh, nice. I'm trying my best. You have him well trained, Christy. Huh? Nice. Good learner now. Yeah. Mm. And how are you at the cooking yourself? Well, I'm not, um, I wasn't too bad. I don't know what I'm like now. <laughs> Since I went back after my maternity leave, I've had very little practice. And then when I was off at Christmas, we were either in my home or Dominic's home, so we didn't have to do a lot there. So apart from making the odd cup of tea or the sandwich, I don't do a lot of other cooking now, but I mean, I always did cook for myself. What about the television, Christine, and, and the radio? Well, they're, they're a great source of relaxation and also they're informative you know um with news you know there's good news programs on late at night for example the nine o'clock news today tonight if programs like that you know are interesting they're good to li to listen to you know the radio then on the other hand has music or even chat shows as well of another kind but um they're uh, you know they're both good to relax to and you always use the expression you know i was watching such a thing last night well, I just find it's more, um, it just comes out naturally. Maybe it's because when I did see I watched television, that sounds more ordinary to say you watched television or then listen to it. You know, sometimes I might just say, oh, I was listening to such a thing. But generally, you know, I would use the term watch television, even though I listen. <laughs> television is, is, is visual, you know, like in, you know, an active programme, you know, um, how would I say in, a, you know, um, like, for example, a cops and robbers type programme. Your ears aren't, you know, the same as your eyes in that sense because there's so much activity going on, you know, and there's so many things happening. And then usually crimes and things like that are happening when there's, you know, the real do-do-do music going on. <laughs> so you don't actually know what's happening. You can guess, you know. Yeah. And then usually at the end of those programmes, you hear people talking and you're just listening for the voices that aren't there to see who got shot and who, who got lost, you know. <laughs> By a process of elimination. Oh, right? yeah. yeah. I'm just looking over at the bed there now, and, and Declan is stretched out <laughs> yeah, fast yeah. asleep. Uh-huh, cosy. Yeah. The only thing about him lying on the bed now is when he wakes, he, he is rolling, you know, so you just have to be careful to be make around. sure when he wakes you're there to either remove him or make him more safe. A lot of the things that people would take for granted that they don't realise can be a problem for you, maybe? Um... Oh, I think the, I think people that see would have similar problems. I mean, you, the minute if a child is on a bed and it rolls, you can't always get to it immediately. The only difference is being able to see. You you might be able to prevent the fall, whereas not being able to see, you wouldn't. You know. Have you had any disasters yourself? Um, no, I think I'm overprotective on <laughs> the poor child when he walks. I think I'll have him in a glass case. Um, I haven't had no. You have had two. Oh, I had two. I had one with the tea once and. I turned me back to get the nappy or the towel, and next thing I heard the bump. <laughs> Luckily enough, it was the wooden floor, so <laughs> it didn't do too much damage. Well, you're living in a flat at the moment now, but you have had a house which you ended up selling. How did that come about? We bought a house in South County Dublin before we got married, and when we moved in, for the first few months we were all right, but then we noticed an awful lot of things happening, for example, children running riot in our garden, um, wrecking shrubs, using paint, painting obscenities on the back gate or whatever. Um, 
at the beginning we thought it was just a phase children were going through because they knew we were blind or visually impaired and they would have known that we wouldn't be able to identify them. I think that I think they also wanted to see would Dominic be able to give them a chase or what to see what they would be let get away with. But it got a bit more serious then when they started lighting fires and painting on windows and cutting clotheslines, um, you know, generally wrecking the place. So we couldn't really identify them and we couldn't get anybody to pinpoint who they were. So we decided to call the guards in thinking that, you know, if the guards paid one or two visits that they would just lay off, you know, but it just seemed to worsen the situation. So we just made a decision to sell the house. That must have been a huge disappointment. It was a very, very big disappointment and I think only ourselves realised the size of the disappointment it was to us. You know, a lot of people said to us at the time, maybe you should wait until you can buy something for us to move out. But when you're going through something like that, it is very, very distressing. And the only thing we could do was get out. We had no support from neighbours. Um, they very, very much kept their distance. And I think it was because they didn't want to become involved in our situation. They probably were afraid they'd get picked upon as well. And why do you think people are afraid, in the normal course of events anyway, to get involved, to come in and have coffee and talk to you? It's very difficult to know, really. In our situation, because we were being victimised, I'd say that was the number one situation. Number two, they probably didn't have a lot of dealings with blind people before, didn't know what to expect, and possibly felt that if they became involved with us, they'd have to do an awful lot for us, you know. Um, whatever they would decide we might need to do. You might become dependent on them, That's I, I in, in their that, eyes. Yeah, I feel that actually could have been what happened there. Declan is in great form there now, what, he's eight months at the moment. He's eight months, yeah. When you thought about having children, uh, what sort of advice were you given in terms of the, 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 the probability of, of a, a son or a daughter being visually impaired? Um, well, first of all, there was no genetic counselling available to us. We had made an appointment with a genetic counsellor, and by the time our appointment came up, her clinic had been closed down due to cutbacks, which I feel was... Um, we were very disappointed, first of all. So we just had to go along to the eye doctor, and on his knowledge of the eye complaint, he couldn't obviously give us genetic counselling, but he told us the risks that were involved, and it was a very high risk. It was a 50-50 chance of a child's eyes being affected. You know, we were hoping the risk wouldn't be as high as that. Now, mind you, if they'd said to you it's a 90-10, I think you might still have gone ahead and had the child. <laughs> I think we would have gone ahead and had him, yes. But at the same time, I think it's important to be familiar with the eye disease and with, you know, the risks involved. At the moment, he's too young to know exactly what he's seeing. He doesn't appear to see very much. Certainly, he doesn't see things from him. Um, he certainly can see the light on the ceiling when it's on at night time. He can see the window and he can see the television when he's close to it. Um, what he sees after that is debatable. There's times he reaches for things that you feel if he couldn't see, he wouldn't have known was there. And for that again, you could have something right up beside him and he doesn't notice it at all. What are the things that annoy you when you're out and about? I mean, for example, how, how do you know what bus is coming if you're taking the bus into RTE? Um, well, here on this road where I get the bus, there's only two buses go... Well, there's school buses go down, but they don't stop at the general bus stops. And there's only two buses then with numbers that go. Now, the 10 is the one I get. 
Um, I can't obviously tell the number of it. If there's somebody at the bus stop, I ask them. If not, I just go out to stop it and hope it's a bus if I'm not sure. And, um, you know, the bus drivers would tell you the number of the bus. But generally in the morning, there's somebody else at the bus stop. So they tell me. Um, in some areas, especially areas where you wouldn't be known, I find that it can be difficult if there's more than one number bus stopping at a bus stop. Because if a bus pulls in and it says the number, and now with the one-man bus, if they say um, it's number such a thing and you say, no, I don't need that bus, your own bus can actually go come along. And because you can't see it and the bus driver is busy taking fares, it can pass out the bus. So it means you're left behind with a longer wait. That is a slight disadvantage now because there aren't conductors on the buses. Have you ever found yourself flagging down a, a lorry? <laughs> oh, I have many of the time. Actually, I had a funny incident there during the week where... I heard what I thought was a bus coming and I, and there was somebody at the bus stop and I headed off out to you know the edge of the curb and I just said to the person at the bus stop, what number is this bus? And I got no response from the person. And then I just said, oh, it isn't a bus and says, no, it isn't. <laughs> I think he was more embarrassed than I was. For fully sighted people, it can often be an embarrassment where they go to try and help a visually impaired person and the person says, leave me alone, I'm grand, I can cross the road on my own. It, it's a, a delicate balance between to go to someone's assistance and not to be patronising or whatever? Um, yeah, it is actually <clears throat> um, a, a weak spot, I suppose, because like anybody else, a, a blind person can have their off moments as well or be in bad humour, and somebody could just approach them at a bad time. And what a lot of people tend to do is grab your arm first and then ask you, do you want help? So number one, you're after getting a shock because you weren't expecting somebody to grab you. Number two, they can quite often hurt you when they grab the soft part of your <laughs> arm. So when they said you want help, your first thing is no and pull back from them, you know, is the initial reaction. But I think in general, blind people are quite prepared to accept help, you know, when help is offered. You know, generally crossing roads is dangerous. What about hobbies? Do you, do you get a chance to go out? What sort of pursuits do you have? Well, we both like music, you know, we like, you know, Dominic is very fond of Irish music, country and western, traditional, that sort of music. Um, I just like general music myself, so we tend when we go out to go to something musical if we can. I, I like sports, any class of sports, I like watching on television, but uh, I like swimming, I go swimming on odd Monday night. There's a special class for the visually impaired in Tara State Pool. And we go down for an hour every Monday night. And uh, there's sports organisations for the blind and visually impaired. And uh, they have session training once, maybe a week or that, you know. But uh, I don't get too often, you know. <laughs> she doesn't let you out, no? No, I'm a very unfit person. <laughs> now, we mentioned earlier on that you had been in a house and you're now at the moment in a flat. Christine, what about long term? Would you envisage being able to buy a house again? Oh, certainly I would hope to be able to buy a house again. Um, it's just picking a suitable area. And unfortunately, you won't really know until you're in an area a while. So we'll just have to um, investigate the area more thoroughly the next time. For example, contact the local guard station, you know, get friends maybe on a few nights to sit in cars in the estate or near the house that we're interested in, just to get an idea of the atmosphere, especially at night time. Christine, as a mother, how do you feel about the thoughts of never seeing your child, never seeing Declan? Well, most of the time, I don't think about not seeing him. You know, when, especially when I'm close to him, 
it's almost like as if I can't see him because, for example, if he is sitting on my knee and he, he reaches for me or comes towards me with his face, you know, you can actually feel his nose or his lips trying to bite you. But I must say, if I had a wish, even for two seconds, I would like to see him. And Dominic, of course, but I would like to see him. <laughs> that almost sounded like an afterthought there, Dominic. Yeah, it was an afterthought, I think. <laughs> she never said that before. <laughs> and looking to the future, what are your long-term hopes for Declan? Well, I feel Declan will do pretty well. At least I hope he'll do very well. Um, the education system has improved so much. Even now, you know, visually impaired and blind people are attending universities. Um, I hope that, you know, if he is a good student, he will do well, and when he leaves school, you know, he'll have a good choice in careers. Well, there's no doubt in my mind he's certainly not short of love and affection here in the house. <laughs> Dominic and Christine, thank you very much for sharing the last 40 minutes with me. And I think we should finish now, Christine, with you singing one of your songs, which you might dedicate to your husband. Well, seeing that he's a Daniel O'Donnell fan, I'll sing I Need You, Honest I Do. I need 